All right, good morning, church. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Lamentations, chapter 3. The passage will be shown on the screen, but always want to encourage you to have your Bibles open as the passage is being read. And even during the sermon, Lamentations is kind of in the second half of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. And this morning we'll be reading the uh, maybe first two-thirds of chapter 3, verses 1 through 24. You can follow along as I read the passage for us. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 to 24. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking here. He says, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me. He, with bitterness and tribulation, he has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in, the, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call the mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is God's word. Well, it's great to see you all. And again, welcome to our friends who are worshiping with us online. And uh, I guess a belated Happy New Year. A few days ago, I came across an article in the New York Times, and the title caught my eye. The title is, A Nation on Hold Wants to Speak with a Manager. Now, you may find yourself being able to relate to a few of these excerpts. The article says, It is a strange, uncertain moment, especially with Omicron tearing through the country. Things feel broken. The pandemic seems like a Mobius strip of bad news. Companies keep postponing back-to-the-office dates. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention keeps changing its rules. Brother Ken just kind of alluded to that. 
Political discord has calcified into political hatred. And when people have to meet each other in transactional settings, in stores, on airplanes, over the phone on customer service calls, they are, in the words of one grocery store manager, devolving into children. Darko says, perhaps you felt it yourself, your emotions at war with your better nature, a surge of anger when you enter your local pharmacy suffering from COVID-19 symptoms only to find that it is out of thermometers. Never mind antigen tests. A burst of annoyance at the elaborate rules around vaccine cards and IDs at restaurants. Rules you yourself agree with because you have to wait outside and it is cold and you left your wallet in the car. The meanness of the public has forced many public-facing industries to rethink what used to be an article of faith, that the customer is always right. If employees are now having to take on many unexpected roles, therapist, cop, conflict resolution negotiator, then workplace managers are acting as security guards and bouncers to protect their employees. Again, just a couple of excerpts, but I wonder, can we relate to any of that? Well, I certainly can. Our family recently experienced frustrations such as not being able to find any rapid COVID tests anywhere in stock, of having to book our PCR tests at least a week in advance. While we were out of town recently for the holidays, we started hearing about hundreds of flights being canceled. And I was worried that we'd be stuck in California until who knows when. But thankfully that didn't happen, though I know of at least one of our families here at RCC who weren't quite as fortunate. Even having to move our worship service online last Sunday and changing the plans for our youth group, that's been frustrating. I, I feel bad to our students and to their parents. Now, these are all first world problems, to be sure. It's just that we've been enduring this pandemic for almost two years now. I don't know how many of us expected this Omicron variant to be this disruptive when word of its arrival first started appearing on our news apps and social media pages just a few weeks ago, it seems. But if the analysis from that New York Times article is right, it seems our society has reached a point of collective exhaustion. We are frustrated. Some of us might feel depressed. We might even be angry. If you find yourself experiencing any of these emotions, I want to assure you, you're not alone. I've been feeling it too, and I'll share more about that in a bit. Now maybe you've been feeling okay. Maybe things have actually been going well. You're feeling thankful, you're learning, you're discovering new hobbies or new experiences or new relationships that have made your life richer and more meaningful. And if that's true, if I just described you, then praise God. That's great. But I think I can safely say that a good number of us we're tired. We're fed up. We're fed up of having to deal with the constant changes, the seemingly unending certainty over how long this is going to get drawn out. And this is all on top of the stress 
that many of us have been dealing with day after day, week after week, month after month, at work, at home, at school, perhaps even here at church. I think the elders have sensed this among one another, and we've also sensed it within our church as we've been reflecting and planning together in the recent weeks. And so as we start this new year, I thought it'd be good to share about our vision for 2022. The vision is what we call Recover and Realign. Let me read our vision statement for 2022 out loud. It says, we are deeply aware that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a significant emotional, spiritual, and relational toll on our church. In 2022, we are committed to R&R as a spiritual family. We will offer loving and grace-filled spaces for our people to begin the journey towards recovery. We also hope to realign with the trajectory of RCC's original vision as we implement our discipleship model into the life of the church. Now, the first part of this vision statement focuses on the toll that COVID has taken upon our church. We felt as an elder board that we needed to be honest about the fact that it's been tough. It's been tough for us individually, and it's been tough for us as a church. You'll notice that this vision statement mentions the emotional, spiritual, and relational toll of the pandemic. Maybe some of us have felt it in one of these areas more than the others, or perhaps you felt it in all three of these areas. Wouldn't surprise me if some of us aren't even aware of just how deeply this toll has affected us. Because we've been too busy just trying to handle everything that we have on our plates, our very full plates. And so this is why the elders felt we needed to make R&R a priority for 2022. That's a bit tongue-in-cheek. By R&R, we don't mean rest and relaxation so much, although that sounds nice too. We want to focus this year on recovery and realignment. This morning, I want to focus on that first R, recovery. The passage we read from the book of Lamentations contains a brutally honest prayer from a man who was also at his physical and emotional and spiritual breaking point. The prophet Jeremiah had just lived through one of the most traumatic events in his nation's history. The Babylonian Empire had sent their army to attack the city of Jerusalem, and Jeremiah had been warning his fellow countrymen that this invasion was coming as God's judgment for their sin. And he had begged them again and again to repent and return to the Lord. But his pleas unfortunately fell on deaf ears, and the Babylonians soon arrived. They conquered the city, and they sent most of its people away into exile. As Jeremiah reflected on what had happened, he soon found himself venting, venting his sorrow and his frustration to God. But we'll also see that as he was venting, he was still somehow able to end on a hopeful note. And I believe following this example of raw honesty with God can also set us on a path toward recovery from our own sorrow our own pain and frustrations. 
And so I'd like to offer three lessons for us to consider from our passage this morning. Three lessons. The first is we can be honest with God about our grief and pain. We can be honest with God about our grief and pain. When we read, especially the first 18 verses in this chapter, it's clear that Jeremiah believes that God is sovereign. Meaning, God is in control over every circumstance in our lives, both the good and also the bad. I would say especially the bad, because it's one thing to believe that God is in control when things are going great, but that becomes a whole lot tougher when things are awful. Jeremiah had just gone through some awful stuff, and yet there's no question that he believed that God is sovereign over all circumstances. I want us to pay particular attention at how Jeremiah holds God responsible for all the pain that he and his people have suffered. We'll see this, we'll see this in just the first six verses. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, under God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Truly against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. And this keeps going on and on and on, all the way down to verse 18. But here's the thing. I don't believe Jeremiah is raging against God. He isn't shaking his fist and saying, God, you suck, I hate you, or anything like that. But Jeremiah is saying, God, you did this. You did this, God. You brought this misery upon us. Yes, we deserve it. Yes, you warned us several times. Yes, you gave us many opportunities to repent. Yes, we deserve all the pain and misery that we're going through right now. But God, you did this. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, author and pastor Dane Ortland comments in a chapter called His Natural Work and His Strange Work. Throughout Lamentations, this unfiltered view of divine sovereignty is everywhere at play. Glancing at chapter 3, for example, we see verse after verse beginning with he, as the author recounts all the horrors that God himself has brought upon Israel. If I can ask my fellow brothers and sisters here at RCC, when was the last time we were this honest with God about our frustration and pain? Maybe it's been a while. Or maybe we've never been able to say anything in our prayers like, God, you did this to me. I may have deserved it, I could have avoided it, but Lord, you did this. 
if I'm completely honest with you, I don't think I've been able to be this real with God until fairly recently. And perhaps you're surprised to hear this from someone who's served as a pastor for almost two decades, but it's the truth. But I'm also learning through this experience that we can be honest with God about our grief and pain. That's our first lesson from our chapter this morning. It's not like God's going to be shocked or surprised by anything we say. He is, after all, omniscient. And I'm beginning to realize that this kind of raw honesty is where God often meets us most intimately and most personally. That takes us to our second lesson this morning. We can trust that God meets us in our grief and pain. We can trust that God meets us in our grief and pain. I discovered an insight as I was reading through Lamentations recently. Down in verse 16, Jeremiah confesses, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Now that's almost a shocking statement there in verse 18. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. This prophet is admitting to a total loss of hope. If I put it differently, Jeremiah has officially hit bottom here in verse 18. But then look at what he says just a few verses later in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now he just admitted that he had completely lost hope, and then here he finds it again. And I found this to be weirdly comforting. This is what I would call a messy prayer. Jeremiah is all over the place emotionally. He feels hopeless in verse 18, and then he regains hope in verse 21. And if we keep reading through the end of the chapter, and in fact to the end of the book, we'll see that Jeremiah seems to lose hope again. He loses hope, he regains hope, he loses hope, and then the very end of the book finds Jeremiah in this unresolved tension. I wish I could say more if we had the time, but I want to encourage all of us here, based on what we see, even in these few verses, I want to encourage us to find the freedom to give ourselves the space to be all over the place emotionally and to even offer messy prayers when we need to. Our prayers don't always have to be linear and logical. They can be like this too. But I also want us to take notice of something else. There is that brief but crucial moment when Jeremiah finally sees some sunlight breaking through the dark clouds. Verse 21, if you look there with me again, he says, But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Well, what exactly is this hope? Well, the next few verses tell us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, some scholars have noted that Lamentations has five chapters. And chapter three is the heart and soul of the book. It's the middle chapter. And chapter three is also three times as long as any of the other chapters. And if chapter 3 is the heart of the book of Lamentations, then verses 21 through 24 are the heart of this chapter. We could even say that these few verses are the heart of the entire book. This is pretty much the only time where the light shines in the darkness, even if only faintly. Now why might that be? Well, I, I like to suggest that it's beca- precisely because Jeremiah was so honest with God about his frustration and pain. He wasn't afraid to put his real and messy feelings to words. And please also take note of how God responds when Jeremiah holds him ultimately responsible for his suffering and hardship. God doesn't strike him down for blasphemy. God doesn't even scold Jeremiah for complaining. He simply shows up. He shows up in a way that reassures this grieving prophet that he is still with him, even in his pain. God helps Jeremiah remember, even in his grief, that his steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And that's why Jeremiah can say in verse 24, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. We can be honest with God about our grief and our pain. We can also trust that it's precisely in our grief and pain where God can meet us most intimately. God doesn't meet us in spite of our grief and pain. God often meets us in our grief and pain. I hope there are some of us here who can be comforted by this. We can be honest with God about our grief and pain because that's where he often meets us most profoundly and intimately. Let me offer our third lesson for this morning. Our third and final lesson is that we can find assurance that God understands our grief and pain. God doesn't just meet us in our grief and pain. He understands our grief and pain. Maybe some of us are wondering why such a seemingly depressing book like Lamentations is even in the Bible. Well, I can think of a few reasons. One is that this book teaches us that we need to learn how to grieve in a healthy way. That's actually an important part of growing in our faith. Sung Chan Ra, professor of evangelism at Fuller Seminary out in California, has written about how Christians today often have an overdeveloped theology of celebration, but an underdeveloped theology of suffering. So he writes, our theology is incomplete when we have only half the story. Jesus' life is a reflection of both suffering and celebration. His life reflects one that yielded power for the sake of embracing suffering on the cross. His suffering, in turn, 
led to a place of celebration in the resurrection. Celebration and suffering are found together in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. You and I, we can very easily buy into the idea that being a Christian means we should always be happy. We should always be celebrating. But there is also an important place for grief and sadness. There is a vital place for suffering. It's part of what makes us real human beings created in the image of God who are living in a world that's broken and sinful and filled with so much pain. In an ironic way, perhaps, one of our prayers for 2022 is, Lord, help me to build a more healthy and robust theology of suffering. This leads me to the second reason why a book like Lamentations is in the Bible. It's because this book points us ultimately to our Savior who also experienced grief himself. We as Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God who became a truly human person. That's the good news of Christmas, right? And there are accounts in the Gospels about how Jesus wept in sorrow as he saw death up close and personal. John chapter 11, for example, has a story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but before that miracle happened, real human tears were shed. We read stories in places like Matthew 23 and Luke 19 about how Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem as he foresaw its coming destruction. We read about how Jesus himself cried out in utter despair as he suffered in our place on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We read verses like Isaiah 53, verse 3, which tell us that Jesus the Messiah was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. The book of Lamentations reminds us that we can be honest with God about our grief and pain because, first of all, it's in our pain and grief where God meets us most personally. But perhaps more important than that, Lamentations remind us that God understands our grief and pain. This book doesn't just look back on that crushing event in Israel's history when God's city was attacked and destroyed and God's people were carried off into exile. This book also looks ahead to our Savior who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Lamentations reminds us that God understands what it feels like to grieve because he experienced it himself and he did it for us. I'm going to wrap things up soon, but I wanted to end by taking a few moments to thank many of you who've been praying for me and reaching out to me. I think some of you may remember me sharing a couple months ago about how I was going through a tough time. 
I shared a bit more about this with our leaders at our annual planning meeting last November, but it had actually gotten to the point where I felt a need to seek professional counseling from a licensed Christian therapist. That's helped a lot, and I'm glad to share that I'm doing better now than I was before, or at least I think I am. But I'll tell you, during my first couple of sessions, my counselor told me, based on what I had shared with her, that I may have been dealing at the time with the form of mild to moderate depression. A little bit uneasy about sharing this, especially since this is going to be like online for <laughs> anyone to watch afterwards. But uh, I've come to realize that I had some issues I needed to work through and process, including some stuff that happened even decades ago. And I also realized that pastoring through COVID took a heavier toll on me than I had probably realized. And I'm pretty sure that other circumstances, like the challenges that have been facing my presbytery recently, have also taken a toll. Now, I don't know if I can say that I fully recovered. I don't think so, actually, but I think I can say I'm in a healthier place now than I was even a couple of months before, and I know it's because many of you have been praying for me and showing your care for me and for my family in different ways, and uh, I I would say especially our elders and our families. That's meant so much. I'm sharing all this because, well, I have a strong suspicion I'm not alone. As I've mentioned earlier, COVID has taken a very real toll on all of us. I think probably more than we realize. And that's, again, on top of all the other personal challenges that each of us are dealing with. And so I I just want to say, if you're having a hard time You are not alone. You're not alone. Your pastor's been going through it too. Many of us here are going through it. You are not alone. And we want to do all we can to help some of us at least begin the journey towards recovery. Now, we may not reach that place by this time next year. We can say we're fully healthy emotionally and spiritually, physically, relationally, but if we can help one another at least take the first few steps in that journey, we'll consider that a win. So our vision for 2022 is recover and realign, R and R. We want to be honest about where we are. We want to be honest about how hard it's been for many of us, but we also want to stay hopeful where God can take us as we continue to walk together, as we grow together, as we learn together, as we serve together as his people. I think the prophet Jeremiah offers such a helpful example here in Lamentations 3. You and I, we can be honest with God about our grief and pain because that's where he often meets us most intimately, most personally. But perhaps most important, God doesn't just meet us in our grief and pain. He understands our grief and pain. 
He's been there. And he knows. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially for these passages that offer such an honest, such an honest portrayal of your people who struggled in real and profound ways and yet felt secure enough in your love to voice those frustrations in a way that didn't ultimately destroy their hope in you, but strengthened it. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hope as your people. As we look ahead to 2022, as we struggle through this seemingly unending pandemic, as we deal with the different challenges that we're facing at home and at work and at school, and maybe even here at church, Father, we pray that you would help some of us who are here, some of us who are listening to begin this journey toward recovery by first being honest with you about our own grief and pain. Lord, can we even be so bold to ask that many of us would experience you more deeply and more intimately this year than we ever have before? Would you please do that for us? We know that you can. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.